Well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord. Lord, we want to see in a clearer way how you are good. We want to understand your goodness. And sometimes it is difficult for us to grasp that because, Lord, you're not good some of the time. You're good all the time. But there are times when we especially sense your goodness in our lives. We pray that we would be um, just enamored and thrilled as we think about our good God today. So speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak from your word. Encourage us, Lord, to know you better today, that we would walk with you more closely and commune with, with you more deeply, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One day there was a young man, wealthy, influential, who came up to Jesus Christ, and he said to him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And it's interesting how Jesus responds to him. He doesn't give him an answer right away. Instead, he says, why do you call me good? Isn't that an interesting way to respond to the question? Why do you call me good? Either the Lord was saying to him, I'm not good, or he was saying, I am God. It has to be one of the two. Why do you call me good? Do you know who I am? Do you know that I am God in human flesh? But here Jesus responds and he says, no one is good except God alone. Now think about that. No one. No person. No even angel. No creature is good except for God alone. And I think what he meant by that is there is no created being that God has made who intrinsic in and of that being himself possesses goodness. God does. And God communicates goodness to his creatures. But if we are good in any measure, it's because we've received that as a gift from God. But God doesn't receive it as a gift from anyone. He is good. It's at the core of his essence. It's part of his divine nature to be good. To, to enjoy blessing and giving good things to his creatures. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good and do good. So God is good, and because he is good, as an overflow of who he is, he does good to his creatures. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So every good thing in life comes down from God as a gift from him. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that God is good to all of his creatures, not just some, but all of them. We call this common grace. Because of God's common grace, he bestows blessings to the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. The Lord is good to all. Jesus said in John 6 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he himself is kind or good to ungrateful and evil men. So the Lord teaches us that we are to do good because we need to be sons of our Father, a son, 
imitates his father. Our father is good because he is kind to ungrateful and to evil men. Now how does how is God good or kind to ungrateful and evil men? Over in Matthew 5, Jesus says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, sun and rain. Now why is it, uh, why would that be a blessing? Why would that be a good thing for God to give sun and rain to all kinds of people? Well, they lived in an agrarian society. They were farmers. They needed sunshine and they needed rain to grow crops to have food to eat and survive. And that's Jesus' point. God is good to all men by giving the sun, by giving rain so that people have food to eat. So that's true that because of common grace, God is good to all his creatures, but it's also true that there's special grace whereby God gives special blessings to his children. He's especially good. He's good to all, but he's especially good to his children. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now David's writing that psalm. David was a child of God. And David said, Surely goodness shall follow me. And the word follow could be translated pursue me, or chase after me, or even persecute me. So the word persecute means you're chasing after someone to do them harm. Well, God chases after the Christian to do them good. Surely goodness shall pursue me and overtake me all the days of my life. So there's special grace, there's special goodness that God gives to his children. Psalm 84, 11, No good thing will he withhold from those who what? Walk uprightly. There's the definition, the description of the Christian. One who walks uprightly before God. No good thing will God withhold from them. Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So there is a general goodness that God gives to all of his creatures. And then there's this special goodness whereby God does special things for his children. So let me, let me put it like this. God gives some good things to all people, but all good things to some people. Some good things to all people, common grace, but all good things to some people, special grace, saving grace. So in our time in the Word together, I want you to be filled with joy and gratitude as we consider the goodness of God to all of us this morning. And I'm going to highlight just four areas. God's provision, His protection, His patience, and His purification. Those four areas. So number one, His provision. Psalm 68.10 your creatures settled in it. You provided in your goodness for the poor, O God. Now listen to that last part. Lord, you provided in your goodness for the poor. So the poor had a provision given to them. And it was because of God's goodness that he provided for the poor. Acts 14, 16 and 17. In the generations gone by... He permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Now, the Apostle Paul is preaching in that message, and he's preaching to a bunch of pagans, people that don't know God. They're not his children. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And so... The Apostle Paul says, 
God has done good to you. How did he do that? He gave you rains from heaven, same thing Jesus said, he sends his, sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, sends rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, so seasons that produce fruit or a grand, grand harvest, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So one of the ways God does good is just by feeding us. I think that's why it's good to offer thanks before you eat a meal, because you're recognizing this came from you, Lord, not me, from you. And you deserve the thanks for this. So these passages explicitly state that God provides for us because of his goodness. So what exactly does God provide for people? What are our basic needs that God is always providing? Well, air to breathe. If we had no air to breathe, we would die. Water to drink. You can't go more than about three to seven days without water and you're going to end up dead. Food to satisfy your hunger, clothes to cover your bodies, and a home to shelter you from the elements. And that's just the very beginning. God provides way more than that, but that's good for starters. And I want you to think of those for a minute. Just think of the food that God has provided you over your lifetime. I did some math this last week. And I figured out that God has provided about 67,000 meals for me during my lifetime. 67,000, which equals about 90,000 pounds of food, which equals 45 tons of food. Now, one of the biggest elephants in the world in Africa weighs about um, 13,000 pounds. Well, this is 90,000, so I guess that's about six or seven gigantic elephants. That's how much I've eaten in my lifetime. But, but God has just provided day after day after day. And it's not just the amount of food that God has provided you over your lifetime, but think about the variety of food. Mm-hmm. God is so good. I think of my dog Murphy. Our dog Murphy, we gave him the very same thing every day of his life. He never got any variety. It was always the same dog food. Twice a day, every day, his whole life. And I thought, oh, that would drive me crazy. To eat the same. I mean, wouldn't that drive you crazy? <laughs> Never get any variety. But God gives us all kinds of wonderful variety. You know, you can have Thai food or sushi or you can go to Mexican or Italian or all kinds of things and just enjoy the various cultures of the world. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy during our life. Not only that, but the Lord, I figured out, has provided over 11,000 gallons of water for me to drink during my lifetime. 11,000 gallons. Crazy. And every day, you and I breathe in about 2,000 gallons of air, which is about the size of an average swimming pool. We breathe in that much air every day, and the Lord's constantly giving it to us. So... The Lord has provided our food and our water and our air and our clothes and our shelter for our entire life. And at any time, he could have cut that off. He didn't have to do that ever. He was under no compulsion. It was his goodness that he keeps on giving to you every day, every hour of every day, these basic necessities of our life. And it's not just you or me that he's done that for, but there's about 8 billion people on the planet at this point. Now think about that. Every single day, God is providing about 4 billion gallons of water for people to drink, about 25 billion pounds of food to the inhabitants of the earth. And that's not just today. It it goes on tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. He's constantly giving his creatures the basic necessities. And in addition to that, 
He's given us our jobs and an income so that we can purchase the things that we need. He's provided us with a family. And in most cases, there's great blessing in our family and our relationships. He's provided our church family, right? That's one of the richest blessings of life is just the, the fellowship of the saints. He's provided you with the talents that you have and the gifts you have and the abilities you have. Now, I thought back this week on my own lifetime and there have been times in my life where I've had very little and times when I've had an abundance. When I grew up, there were seven kids in my family and my dad didn't make a lot of money. So we really scraped, had to scrape by just to make ends meet. And when Debbie and I first got married, we didn't have very much. We were scraping by. Sometimes we didn't have a quarter to go down to McDonald's and get an ice cream. You know, it was that tight. Just coming, and our rent was $295 a month back then. And it was just every, everything we could do to make sure we had enough money for rent just to pay it. Isn't that crazy? $295. That was in Fresno in 1982 or so. <laughs> um, but having said that, there's never been a time in my life when I lacked my basic needs. Air, water, food, clothes, and shelter. God has done that my entire life. And He's been good. And we need to give Him thanks. And not take for granted these things. It's easy to take for granted. But no, that comes from God's goodness. So, do you see God's goodness and how He has provided for you? Now secondly, let's think about his protection. Not only his provision, but his protection. The Bible teaches us that God's goodness is also seen in how he protects us. For example, Exodus 18 verse 9, Jethro comes to Moses. And it says that Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So the Egyptians had come after the Israelites to destroy them and God had protected the Israelites and raised up his power to destroy them in the Red Sea. In the book of Nahum, that little minor prophet, in chapter 1 verse 7, this is what it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. So to take refuge in the Lord is to find our protection in the Lord, to find our shelter in the Lord. The Lord is good. He knows those who take protection in Him or take refuge in Him. Think over your life and remember the times that the Lord has protected you from physical harm. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted of the devil and the devil wanted Him to cast Himself off the pinnacle of the temple? And the devil quoted Psalm 91, which says, He'll give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you don't strike your foot against a stone. Now, that's a true scripture. God does have angels, and he does send his angels on missions to protect his people in various situations. I was thinking about this, and I remembered a time when I had flown to Denver, Colorado. There was a bluegrass festival there and a banjo championship. And so I packed my banjo up and a giant suitcase with my sleeping bag and pillow and a tent. And I flew to Colorado to engage in this championship contest. 
And when it was over, I flew back, got in my car, and was driving home. And I was really anxious to get home and excited to get home. And so I was driving a little too fast. And I was going in the hills, and in these hills, it was curvy. And so I was probably going maybe 65, maybe 70 miles an hour. And it was curvy, so I was turning. And I don't even know to this day what happened, but all of a sudden, my car started turning like this in the middle of the highway. And I was out of control. There was nothing I could do to get control of the vehicle or to stop it. I just kept going like this. And finally, I ended up off the highway in a ditch, slammed up against a fence. And I thought, there were cars in front of me, cars behind me, cars on the side of me, but I didn't hit any other cars, and I didn't suffer any injuries. And I just have to look back on that time and say, Lord, thank you. You protected me. That was your protection. Just this last October, another incident came up where I was, I own a window and gutter cleaning company and sometimes we treat roofs, we, we apply a bleach solution to kill the moss and the lichen that's on these roofs. And I was doing that, spraying it. And at that time I didn't know how slippery bleach was. And I happened to walk in the, the part that I had just sprayed. And before I knew it, I'd fallen on my butt and I was slipping down this roof. And there was nothing I could do to stop. It was just, I was like on a, a sled or a toboggan going <laughs> and I just flew right off the, the side of the second story roof. Thank God I didn't land on concrete. I landed on a wood deck, which did something to break my fall a little bit. Concrete would have been a lot worse. And I just think back, if I had landed wrong, I could be a paraplegic today. If I land on my head, my neck, or my back, I could have a broken back, a broken neck. I could have died, you know, conceivably if I'd hit the wrong way. And God was so good to protect me. And I don't have any effects of that fall. And here it is just several months later. So God is good to protect us. So I'm sure if we all shared our stories, we could, we'd have all kinds of stories of how God has protected us in various situations. But that's part of his goodness to us. Now thirdly, let's think of his patience. Because God is also good in being patient with us. Romans 2.4 says this, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So here God's goodness is linked with his forbearance and his long-suffering. So long-suffering means that God suffers long with us. He puts up with us. He's patient with us in our sin and the mistakes we make and the, the evil things that we do. He doesn't immediately execute justice upon us when we sin against him, but he's so patient and long-suffering and forbearing. And, and Paul says that's evidence of God's goodness to you, that he doesn't just cut you off and cast you into hell when you deserve that. He could have done that, but no, he doesn't. He waits. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and goodness. There are millions, maybe even billions, I'd probably have to say billions of people around the world who don't consider God. They just neglect him. They go on their life as if he doesn't exist. Many of them would curse him to his face or spit in his face if they were able to do so. They live for themselves. They indulge the sinful pleasures of their flesh. But God is patient with them. 
God doesn't immediately act in his justice or wrath. He waits and he waits. He's giving space for repentance. They turn a deaf ear to the gospel. They ignore the warnings and the pleadings of the word of God. But again, God is patient and he waits and he gives opportunity after opportunity for them to come to repentance. If God were not patient, the instant we sin, we would have been cast straight into hell. But God is so patient, and that's an evidence of His goodness. Think about your own life before you became a Christian. God was patient with you. You could have died in a car accident before you came to know Christ. You could have died of some illness or disease, but God didn't cut you off. God gave you space for repentance. And He's not only patient with sinners, but He's also patient with us as Christians. We go to the Lord and we say, here I am, Lord, with the same old problem I told you about last week. And I'm afraid it's not gotten any better. I'm in the same fix I was then. Please, Lord, have mercy on me. And the Lord hears the same prayer from millions of Christians around the world and He's patient with them. Right? He doesn't cast you out of His kingdom. He doesn't divorce you. He doesn't write you off. He, he says, you're my child. And he bears with you and he works with you and his spirit is working in your hearts to give you great, greater desires. But he's very, very patient with us. How many years did we go on living in sin before we obeyed the gospel? How patient God was with us. And how long have you struggled with a particular sin issue with, before you got victory or overcame that sin? God is patient with you. And he's patient because he's good. That's what I want you to see this morning. God's goodness is seen in his patience. Now let's look at one other area this morning. His purification. So we've seen provision, protection, patience, and purification. Psalm 25, 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, According to your goodness, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. So here, the psalmist is saying, don't remember the sins of my youth because of your goodness sake. And the Lord doesn't remember the sins of our youth because he's good. He forgives us and he wipes out our debt of sin. In Psalm 25, 8, it says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. So not only does the Lord not remember the sins of our youth, but he goes on to instruct sinners in the way, teaching them and training them on how they can live godly and upright and holy lives. He continues to teach us and to train us that we might avoid sin and grow in godliness. Now, there is a passage I want you to actually look at in your Bibles. I've been quoting a lot of them, but this one, take a look at Romans 8. And we're going to look at one of the most well-known verses you can quote it by heart, I'm sure. It's verse 28. But we're going to link it with verse 29 because I want to show you something about God's goodness that's hidden away, a hidden gem here. Romans 8:28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Notice how verse 29 starts. Four, Right? The word for tells you that what he's about to say is an explanation of what he just got done saying. He's going to go on to explain how Romans 8.28 works. For those whom he foreknew, 
He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, verse 28 speaks about those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 identifies them as though those whom God foreknows and are predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Verse 28 talks about how all things are working together for good. Well, what is the good that all things are working together for? Verse 29 gives us the answer. It's that we would be conformed to the image of his son. We can have all kinds of ideas about this good. Oh, all things are working together for my good. That means I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to travel the world. You know, we can have all these crazy ideas. According to the Bible, the good that God is causing all things to work together for is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. That he would purify your life sanctify you and transform you into the image of his own son. That's the good that God is working all things together for. Wouldn't the Christian life be miserable if you had no prospect or hope of ever becoming more Christ-like? You're just stuck as a sinner in your sin and you would never see any progress. God has given us a new heart when we became Christians. And he's given us new desires to please the Lord and to love him and to grow in holiness and godliness. And those things are inbred within the new heart that God has given to us. And it would be miserable if God saved us as sinners, but then, well, I'm just gonna have to live like this the rest of my life and die and then I'll be holy. But that's not the way the Lord does things. He saves us puts a new, these new desires in our heart, and then he begins to fulfill the desires of our heart as we grow in godliness. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says this, To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he prays that God will fulfill every desire for goodness, and the work of faith with power. God puts these desires for goodness, and these works of faith. He plants them in our heart, and we, it's right that we would pray that God will fulfill these desires that he's placed within our breasts. Okay, let's take these four ideas and let's, let's seek to apply them. What, what do we do with the goodness of God? How do we apply the, the truth that our God is good? Well, I'm going to just give you three ideas this morning. Number one, trust God when things don't look good. It's really easy to say God is good when you get a new job or a raise or when your cancer goes into remission or when a family member gets saved or you are able to buy a new home. Some great blessing in your life. Yeah, God is good and everyone rejoices with you. Yes, God is good. But what about when your cancer doesn't go into remission, it gets worse and it starts spreading throughout your body? Or what about when your friend doesn't come to Christ and dies in unbelief? Or what about when you lose your home because it's foreclosed on? Or you lose your job and now you're homeless? Okay, all these things have happened to believers. 
or perhaps it's being treated like vermin in a concentration camp. Is God only good when supposedly, in quotes, good things happen to his children? Is God bad when bad things are happening to us? And then he switches and he becomes good when good things are happening to us? Of course, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because God is immutable in his character. Meaning his, his character doesn't change. He doesn't go back and forth between Jekyll and Hyde all the time, good and bad. He's always good, but we tend to be able to see it much greater at certain times than at others. Sometimes we're in pain, sometimes we're suffering, sometimes we're going through severe trials, and it's hard for us to see the goodness of God at those times. So my encouragement for you folks this morning is trust God when things don't look good. Doesn't mean that they aren't good or that God's not good. It means that they don't look good right then, and they don't feel good sometimes. Sometimes they feel bad. Now how can we do that? How can God be good if he allows pain and suffering and death to come upon individuals? And that's the age-old question, right? How can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, of course, there is. remember Jesus said, there's only one, God's good, only he's good, nobody else is. <laughs> so there's really no good people except for God. But... I think we know what they're saying, and it's a difficult question to answer, because God does allow suffering. We have to admit that. He's sovereign. He could stop suffering at any moment, and one day he will. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will no longer be suffering or crying or pain or death, but he allows it now. So, at least, a, let me give you a partial answer that helps me, and it comes from an illustration. So, are you guys familiar with what a tapestry is? It's, it's a work of art using thread or yarn. And usually you will hang it on a wall, and it's just a beautiful object. I'm always going to put up some pictures for you. So the one on the right, that's a tapestry with a picture on it. The one on the left, that's the backside. Like if you were to turn the tapestry over, that's what you would see. So what you see is disorder, it seems to have no rhyme or reason, just a bunch of threads going in every direction, right? But if you turn it over, you see this beautiful object, the bird and, and the tree. When God looks at the situation, he sees it on the right. He sees the front side. He sees what he's doing. He sees order. He sees symmetry. He sees design. He sees purpose. God has got 10,000 things he's doing at every minute in our lives. He, he's wise and he orders all things well. But we're, we're looking at the opposite side. We see the tapestry from the back and we think, what's going on, Lord? Why are you allowing this pain and this suffering? I don't understand. If we could flip and if we could see the other side, it would all make sense to us. And because we can't see the other side, it's hidden from us during this lifetime. That means we have to trust God in the darkness when we can't see the other side of the tapestry. One day I think the Lord is going to flip it over and he's going to show us how it all fit, how it all worked, how he was doing good even when we were suffering and in pain and the trials were so severe and we all know people and even ourselves are experiencing difficulties and pain and suffering. So my exhortation for you is if you're 
If you're looking at the jumbled mess side of the tapestry, trust God. He's wise. He knows what he's doing, even when we don't know what he's doing. We can trust him. The Bible tells us that he is wise, and that he's sovereign, and that he's good. And those three things should help us to get through life. If we can just believe what the Bible reveals about our God. He's good, he's wise, and he's sovereign. Now what is God doing in the pain and the suffering of our life? He's doing things like drawing us closer to himself. He's causing us to turn loose from the petty things of the world. He's strengthening our faith. He's developing proven character and endurance in our life. These are some of the good things that we, we sometimes don't see, but God sees. God knows that that's his purpose in that time. So trust God. Trust God when things don't look good. Secondly, proclaim God's goodness to others. Psalm 145 verse 7. Psalm 145 verse 7. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Now let me repeat that. They, believers, shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. They shall eagerly do it. They shall utter, that means they're going to speak, the memory of your abundant goodness. I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that as soon as the sermon's over. And I want you to share some memories of God's abundant goodness in your life. And I just want to encourage you folks, you belong to a church here where you can eagerly utter the memory of God's abundant goodness. And in many churches that I've attended, there's no opportunity to do that. The pastor can do that, and everyone listens to the pastor do that, but you have an opportunity as the saints gather to utter these, these memories of God's abundant goodness. You can share what the Lord has done for you, and you ought to. And so I want to encourage you from week to week to prepare your hearts and to prepare something to bring to the gathering of the saints to edify them. Share the good things that God has done for you. How has he blessed you? How has he taught you? How has he sanctified you and inspired you and enriched your life? And as we have our sharing time week by week, give some thought and preparation. It's not just the pastor who needs to prepare for Sunday. It's all of the saints because all of us are called to use our gifts to edify one another. So that's the second one I want to encourage you to. Speak of God's goodness. Speak of it. And thirdly, praise God for His goodness. Psalm 106 verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. So, because God is good, we are to give thanks. Psalm 100 verse 4 and 5. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Why? For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. You guys are familiar with the slogan, God is good all the time. All the time God is good. It's almost a mantra that Christians repeat, but it's actually true. <laughs> Even though sometimes we can't see how it's true, it is true all the time. So we ought to be praising God for His goodness. So this morning, 
I would like to conclude our time and I would like you to utter a memory of God's abundant goodness towards you. We've talked about how God is good to us in His provision, how He has provided, in His protection, in His patience, and in His purification. So, I would love it if you could share a story or a memory or an event from your life that shows that how God was good towards you so that we can rejoice with you. But before we do that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are a good, good father. The, the words of that song are true. You are a good, good father. You are good and do good. There's no one good but you alone. Lord, we extol you. And thank you, Lord, that we have been the beneficiaries of your goodness in so many ways during our life. I pray, Lord, that as we meet week by week, that we would utter memories of your abundant goodness towards us. That that's what would be on our lips. Because that honors you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.